We're going to continue this week in our series called What is Christmas All About? And by way of confession, I have a little opportunity here that as we began the series, it kind of came out of the gate a different way than I, I expected. And I was like, what? So I spent a lot of time this week praying and thinking through what Christmas is all about. And we're going to take a little bit of a turn this week, um, continuing in the same idea, but really talking about... Uh, I, the, the, I said last week, this is a great big issue. And it's like a question that's, you know, overwhelming in a way. What is Christmas truly about? If you celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, then what is Christmas all about for us who are believers and claiming him as Lord and King of our lives? And so grappling with that was a really um, a powerful thing, especially as we started, you know, last week in the series. I'll continue that this today with you if you're, if you're down for that. So uh, one thing I want to point out as we begin today is that it's a unique thing to intentionally choose to celebrate Christmas as the birth of Jesus. Like, that's a choice we have to make as we enter into the season as to what or who we're going to celebrate or how we're going to celebrate. And, and that fundamental trajectory or aim will shape what our Christmases look like, what our Christmas celebrations are, the environment, the feel of them, um, our experiences there. But I, I wanted to start by recognizing that reality that it's a choice that we make this time of year as believers to remember again the great story of the birth of the Messiah or the birth of the Christ. And so we're going to talk about that today and um, just get into the Word of God this morning and, and, and chat about that. Um, I want to do what we always do. I pray, and I know we just prayed. And you're like, oh, but I, you know, Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer, and I want to pray again. And the reason I'm praying is because this is the Word of God. Like, this Bible that many of us don't even open or read is the Word of God written. A friend of mine calls it the love letter that God has written to his people. Like, he loves us so much, and if you, if, so when we enter into Scripture, we want to be, have a mind and heart that's centered on Jesus and what he would teach us. Moreover, because his Holy Spirit inspired the word to be written and can inspire you and I, and I said you and I, like this isn't Bill is special and you aren't and I get it and you don't. That is not true, man. The Holy Spirit of God inspires me and you to understand what the Scriptures say and what the Scriptures mean. And so we can do that work together. So we always pray before we enter the Word of God. So let's pray this morning. Father God, we come to you to worship you and to sing your praises and to proclaim your name and to know you more fully and intimately. And today, Father, we confess that we, left to our own devices, are sinners without hope in the world. And yet, we know that you sent your son, Jesus, to save us. And, and more than that, that Jesus promised that he would send his Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, and to counsel us in our hearts. We pray this morning today as we open your word, your gift to us, that we would see and hear things fresh that we would know again the power of the salvation you've offered us and that we could experience that reality, that we would be changed by it. We need you for this. We cannot do this of ourselves. We pray for your wisdom and your insight, your inspiration, your spirit in us to teach us and change us, and we mean it. And therefore, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going we're gonna to take a step back and talk about 
Christmas today. Now, this is the great Sunday to do it because it's the Sunday before we actually celebrate Christmas. And uh, so the first thing that hit me as I was kind of trying to pull back a little bit and say, what, what is Christmas all about, man? What is it all about? Like, if there's one thing that you would take from this whole deal, what's it about? And the word that came to mind is incarnation. I'm sorry, I'm going to push one ahead there. Incarnation is, is the word. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Many of you can probably quote Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, from memory, at least the first few words of it. You know it in your heart. That's fantastic, by the way, if you store that in your heart. It's a great passage to pray and meditate over and reflect and store in your heart. So we're going to read these 14 verses. We're going to talk through um, what the word says here, because this becomes... Uh, the Gospel of John is unique in that, how would I say this? The Gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke are m- more historical narrative. Not to say John isn't, so be careful here, but I always feel like the, the Gospel, I love the Gospel of Mark, you know that about me, um, but they're f- very factual. Matthew is very much about the Jewish people, right? Luke is very much about the history, and, and, and matter of fact, Luke continues in the Acts about the Acts of the early church, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Like, that's what the scriptures are, are written, the kind of different angles on the same story of Jesus and his life. John, to me, feels like a bit of an artist. You know, he, he's, he's more robust in his scope and scale, and, and nothing s- summarizes that more to me than the beginning of the Gospel of John. Well, the beginning and the end, actually, <laughs> if I think about it. But here's what the Word says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, most of you probably know that. That's the part, like, we almost all know by heart, you know. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Um, he was with God in the beginning. And, and we'll continue here. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, right? Now, I do want to stop here because I want to talk about a few things as we lay a bit of a foundation for what we're going to talk about today with incarnation, okay? It begins by saying that in the beginning was the word, the, the eternal word existing um, the, the Greek is logos, and most of you know that too, or logos. Most of you know that as well, right? It's this word that is eternally existent, the reality of who God is. And it's, it's essential to understand that, that 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 is the starting place that John starts, that there's this perfect word, there's this eternal word that's existing before anything. And you can see even in verse 3 it says, through him all things were made. We've talked about that before. So I'm not going to rehash that, but he's the creator, right? The word is the creator. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Genesis 1, he spoke things into existence. By the way, I will say right now, by way of disclaimer, that we say he, because that's what the Bible says, he. The Bible, the Bible has a genitive application here in the Greek. So it's, it's, not, it's not a it or a thing. It's a he, and that's nothing against she's, because God is beyond our, our own gender. We understand that, right? Like, we're made in his image, but we're made in his image. He's the perfect image. But to be clear, I'm not making things up whenever I say he, or when the Gospel of John says he, here. So he's the creator God. He speaks things into existence, right? In him, but then look at verse 4. In him was life, and this is going to be important in a moment, and that life was the light of men. There is so much stuff that happens at the beginning of John here. We have this um, explanation of this eternal existing word, 
okay? That, that is forever, and this word is the word that creates everything that you and I know, experience, touch, hear, smell, see, everything was spoken. Now, the stuff we haven't even discovered yet in, in, the, in the cosmos was spoken into existence by this word, this eternally existing word. And he says here that, um, I want to get it right, he says that in him was life, see, everything was fully existent in the word. In him was life. And then it goes on to say what? And this life was the light of men, the light of people. So all of a sudden you have this, this connection between the God who exists eternally and you and me. This light is the life of men, or this life is the light of men. Is that what it says, right? That light that life, I keep transposing, was the light of men. So the thing that you essentially see in each other, the thing that hopefully you see in me, is essentially the essence of that is from God. That's what John says. To be clear, you might say, well, yeah, you ever heard that? You know, I see Jesus in you, or you see Jesus in me. There's something that we all understand that's valuable, that we treasure in life, that we should treasure. When we see it's not treasure, we, we are repulsed by it. That's not correct. You should treasure it. It's valuable. That essence, that, is, that life, is the light of men. I make that big case because of this. It says, the light shines, that light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not known it or understood it, right? So there's this idea that it's, everyone sees it and knows it, understands it. It's essentially what is so powerful about our existence as people, that we're created beings in the image of a creating God, that he made us in his likeness. We'll read on now for a little bit. Verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. That's the dude who's writing the book. And he came as a witness to testify concerning what? That light. See, that's the, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that light that is the life of men. I keep doing that backwards. That life that's the light of men. He came to testify about that. So that through him, and we must Understand here, all men might believe. that I believe that's referring to John. John's hope was that by him proclaiming that the essence of who you are, that the, the, the light that is in you is the life of God, that you would believe. That was the goal of his preaching, that all men, all people might believe. He, him, and I say that because look at here, the, 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 what do you call that, pronoun again? He himself was not the light. So you know that's a John we're talking about, right? He was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Remember, that's what John was proclaiming, wasn't he? Make way, make ready. The Messiah is coming. The life giver is coming. The light of men is coming. That true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world what it says um okay verse 10 he was in the world and although the world was made through him the world did not see him or recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him right so this incarnation of jesus was his own he understood he knows he was entering in but those that he created um did not know him. Let's see. Yet all who received him, to those who 
uh, believed in his name, he gave the right to become, man, that's so powerful, children of God. By the way, can I just stop for a minute? Can I just stop for a minute and talk about this? Like, the right is the authority, the ability, right? The, the, um, it's more than opportunity. It's, it's something to be taken hold of, to become children of God. Like, that's what his coming was about, to include us in his kingdom. And you see it right there at the beginning, um, Yet to all who did receive him, you see, because some wouldn't receive him, but to all who did receive him, to those he, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority to become children of God. Verse 13, children who are not born of a natural descent, that means born of a man, um, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. That, that's what his coming is about. That's what the coming of Jesus um, is about. So um, we start with this idea of incarnation, that is, that this eternal word that was the life, right, and the, that was the light of men, in, in that word was the life, and that life was the light of men, had come into the world. And I, I want to talk about this for a minute because as I was preparing, I looked back and I thought, what is it that's unique about Jesus coming into the world? If you've read the First Testament or the Old Testament of the Bible, you will know that the people of God had heard from God, um, had seen God, I say seen in quotes here, right, in various forms, um, had worshipped God, and had been obedient to God in different levels of obedience. And as I was looking at all these things, I was talking to Dale this morning before worship, and, and they're called um, uh, theophanies. That's a fancy word, right? It means appearances of God. It's interesting, by the way, that it's an appearance of God. Um, there was a, a, a few uh, times that Abram uh, encountered God in some physical appearance in the First Testament. I'm trying to think of, of um, oh, oh, Jacob, uh, when he wrestled at, at the Jordan, when he was heading, right, he experienced, um, it's, the Bible will say a man or an angel of the Lord, but it's more because he wants a blessing, we know that the appearances were not just angels or not just men because in some of these occasions, the, the person that encountered, like Abram, worshipped and wasn't rebuked. And if you read your Bible, you know your Bible, every time that someone is worshipped that's not God, they rebuke the worship. If they're of God, they don't receive that kind of worship. They're not worthy of that kind of worship because it's reserved for God alone. And so we realize that there is something um, where God has been appearing to his people and yet not in the way we recognize in Jesus. It's different. I, I, I lay that out because I want to say that this, this word um, entered the world. I, I, the words escape me. It's not transitioned. It's, it's, and it, it's entering the cosmos. Um, the existing created order. Like, really. And, and to me, it's amazing that you have this picture of this eternal God that's pressed and jammed into this moment in time with his people in flesh amongst his creation. I mean, honestly, I'm telling you the truth. The scale and scope of it is too much to fully comprehend. The beauty of it is too much to comprehend. But that's the layout. So eternal God, speaking things into existence, had, had entered into the world. And this is what John was so excited about. 
This is why John was out in the desert preaching, right? This is why he was forsaking all food and drink, you know? I mean, he was eating grasshoppers. He was living off the land, and he was like, and they said he was nuts. Like, he was like, there's a great big thing happening, the scope and scale. And here we have this narrative that just captures that so beautifully. The word that had life, that was the light of men, was coming into the cosmos. Okay, now verse 14. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. I think I have that up here as well. Let's see. Oh, did I already push past that maybe? Oh, okay. Maybe it's not in there. So this whole idea um, that God was made flesh. That's going to bug me now. I just want to see if it's there. Yeah. Well, there it was. Look, I just thought it was too much text. The Word made flesh. So this eternally existing Word was incarnated. Um, it's kind of funny because the, the root word for carne is uh, meat. You know what I mean? Um, and so it was the word made meat, you know, like real. And I'm saying that because sometimes I think, and people will put Jesus in all kind of places, but the way we have to deal with Jesus as a physical manifestation, fully man and fully God, he was incarnated, this word that existed forever, incarnated as Jesus. Um, I don't know um, if, you, if you've heard about this this week or not, but there was a bit of a controversy this week because um, there was a world religions class. Anybody hear about the story? And one of the assignments was to appreciate the art and the beauty of another religion. And they had some students, and they asked them to um, trace, not to trace, to, to draw below the um, Islamic um, statement of faith, if you will. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there is, um, in Islam... Um, you can't have any images, and so it's all words, right? And the words are script. Um, and it's kind of a, a similar thing to what, who is it, the Orthodox, um, Greek Orthodox Church, where um, they say it's writing and it's not drawing. They won't draw, but they will write a logos because it's the word. And so they were, and there was a big controversy about this, right? The teacher assigned it, and there was people freaking out because they were being asked to recreate the statement of faith that is the statement of faith of Islam and Muhammad. But I say a lot to say this, that to, to you understand the scale and the scope of what's happening, um, what we're talking about, and I'm not talking about Allah, believe me. I'm saying, though, that to take something that's that holy and precious and make it flesh is blasphemy. Like, to, to, to say, and that's what the big hang-up is about Jesus, is because he is the word made flesh. There's no statement that's beyond him. There's no words that's holier than Jesus in his manifestation. You understand, right? So um, this is a really big deal. And so whenever you, you think about, this is what I will say, is that Jesus is the physical manifestation of the holiest word that's ever existed in a person. And it's who we worship. That's why John was so bent up about it in the opening of his book. This is the gospel, that the word was made flesh more than that and dwelt among us. All right. So this um, intimacy is the next thing I want to talk about. And it comes from the idea that um, God was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we have this incarnation, this physical incarnation. But then not only did he show up, um, and we know as a, as a child in, in, uh, in this very vulnerable state, but he was intimately involved in the lives of those that he came to 
if, if you think about the reality of Jesus' mother and, and uh, stepfather, um, if you think about the relationship to his siblings, you think about the relationship to his disciples as he grew and he, that he um, called friends, uh, it was an intimate thing. I love it because it says here that he made his dwelling amongst people. And the idea of dwelling here is that he pitched a tent or he built a tabernacle amongst his people. See, to me, having a, a tent or a dwelling amongst people, you know, it's like moving into the neighborhood. You know what I mean? But our houses are pretty solid, pretty secure. When I think of a tent, I think of a tent that might blow away in a good storm, you know? I think of like a North Face kind of tent or, um, you know, one of those things you snap together with the poles and you put up and the wind blows and it's cold in there. You have to have, you know, it's vulnerable. The Word says that Jesus, the eternal Word, was incarnated, made in the flesh, and then lived in a tent amongst his people. I mean, that's just radical. You think about life in a tent, and, um, you know, there's a lot of transparency, <laughs> you know? Uh, a lot of vulnerability. You can't, how do you knock on a tent? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get to engage. Hey, you in there? I'm in here. I can see you. Did you ever see that when you put the light in there? You think that no one and everyone can see all your shadows on the outside of your tent? It's a, it's a very intimate position to be in. I'm going to keep backing up to this man because God, eternally existing, the Word made flesh, the light of men, built his house amongst his people, right? That was his decision. Christmas is all about intimacy. He pitched his tent amongst us or he established his tabernacle amongst his people. Powerful reality. Um, by the way, it, it, you'll see it says the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Among us, right? Who's the us here? I think if you look at it, you're going to say the us is the same people that have the light of, of God, the, the the life in them, right? All of us, not some of us. He didn't build His dwelling amongst a certain people. He didn't build it amongst a, a specific group. He built it amongst all people. I think when John says us, it's the same us that's the, us, the we. Whenever it says we, um, this light is the life. This life is the light of men. It's true for all of us right now. See, this is the crazy thing about Christianity. Christianity is not, not powerful because it was a reality for them back then that that happened then and that was it. Like this light and this life exists now in our, among us. And, and the, the proclamation that John makes is that he makes his dwelling among us, you and me, where we are. Man, that means a whole lot of stuff right there. We could spend a whole lot of time on that right there. If he's living among us, if his dwelling is with us, if this manifestation is here, then there is this intimacy. There's this knowledge and knowing. There's this vulnerability that not only he has with us because he lets us know him intimately and fully, but that he knows us in the same way. I think um, often we... Uh, we believe that we live in this kind of fortress, fortress of solitude, you know, the thick walls. No one, no one can get in here. I'm safe, <laughs> you know. And the incarnate gospel, the intimacy of Jesus is that he is dwelling with us in that space. And indeed, when you realize that, you begin to find your, your security in him, your comfort in him. All right. So the next idea here, he made his dwelling among us. And check it out. It says, 
um, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the next thing we're going to talk about is that Christmas is about presence. It's about presence. Now, here's the funny thing. Presence is close to the idea of intimacy. Like these two, you can almost flip them back and forth. They're, they're almost the same thing here. But I want you to see what the word says is that we, the same we that he made us dwelling among us, right? The we have seen his glory is what John says. We have seen the glory of Jesus. I was reminded about this because the, when I was looking this up, um, it's Theomai, and, or I think I'm saying that right, Theomai, and it's to behold, I'm going to read some descriptions here, to behold, or to contemplate, or to look upon, okay, fair enough, yeah, you saw it, I saw it, you know, we saw it. Wait, it's more. It's to gaze or it's to observe intently. It's to be on the edge of your seat. It's to interpret or to be impacted by. To be, Dan said the word earlier, to be expectant, to be longing, to be present in that moment, ready. Says, we have seen his glory is what John says about this Jesus. The, the glory of the one and only is that what it says? The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I had the opportunity uh, last night. We went out and we, we saw a, a movie at a theater. Um, I'll give you a guess what the movie might have been. <laughs> you know, it's the biggest thing happening right now, right? Biggest opening ever. People were lined up. Someone made a joke about Thursday at the Laurie Theater. At the Laurie Theater on Thursday, there was a line down the sidewalk to get into the theater. I went last night, and, and, and there were showings every half an hour on the half an hour. And we were in a theater, and there was no room at the end, man. It was packed. I think there was like one seat. It was unbelievable. And here we sat, and I'm telling you this because this is the anticipation or the awe. We sat at in slack-jawed engagement with the movie, in this case. <laughs> That's kind of a letdown, ain't it? Something, something I made up. Packed. This is what it means to have seen, to behold, to, to um, pay attention, to catch every word, every detail, to look deeply. By the way, one of the miracles of this particular experience for me was um, that the movie came out on Thursday, as all of you know, and I was terrified that there would be a spoiler. Anybody else like that? What in the heck is wrong with spoilers? I was thinking about that. I'm like, what's the problem with spoilers? But I was like, don't talk to me about it. Why? Now listen, church, because we want to see for ourselves. Don't tell me how the story goes. I want to see it. I want to experience it. I want to interpret it myself. I want to understand it myself. Don't ruin it for me. And while that's kind of funny, we're talking about something as trivial as a film that would be like a dime a dozen, how true is that for the eternal existent word made flesh among us? Spoiler alert, we want to see it ourselves. Man, and John says that. We've, we've seen it. The glory of God. Again, this is available to all of us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only. We can engage in that intentional way by being present to the Lord, by, by focusing. I hate to keep bringing this up, but it's totally true. Dale and I are having a great conversation before worship today and talking about how it's available to us if we, if we would engage, if we would look intently, 
if we would just look at what the word says, you know, all we're doing this morning, man, we're just looking at what the Bible says. The word became flesh and made us dwell among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Like it's available to all of us. Be present. This experience of knowing Jesus, of seeing the incarnate word is available to everyone who would receive him. That's what we just read, didn't we? To all who would receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to behold his glory. Man, that is what Christmas is all about. To see the glory of an only son coming from a father filled with grace and filled with truth. That's what it is, the opportunity that we have at Christmas to be present with the Lord. And, and I said it to you at the beginning of this, I said, how you choose this time of the year, it's just an opportunity to remember. How you choose to remember will shape everything about how you experience the holiday. How, how worshipful it is or worshipless it is. Um, how presence-oriented it is, right? How intimate it becomes. It's really at our fingertips and it's um, up to us to lean in and see. So it's about, about presence. And then the last thing, and we love this here anyway, but uh, yeah, we've seen, oh, I had to all up there for you, the glory of the one only, full of grace and truth. But then a after presence, Christmas is all about being real. And I know that's kind of a catchphrase around Family Bible Church. We talked about that forever since we started, you know. Um, before I was here, it was about being real. But that's really true, isn't it? Jesus was all about being real. I mean, he was all about being present. He was all about being with his people. He was all about living in a tent amongst us and, and letting people uh, in, letting us in to his life. It's an, I said already, it's an annual opportunity to remember, and it's up to us how we choose to do that, right? But I would, I would encourage you to recall at this time, in this moment, that Jesus' Jesus' command was, and I think I have it up on the screen, so let me see if I have it. Let's see what's next here. Yeah, remember me. That's what Jesus said. He said, and it was about, this is about communion, but, but he said, every time you do this, re remember me. Um, I'm going to ask, Alicia, can you do me a favor? Can you walk to the back and have, tell Krista, bring the blast kids back in? I, I think it's interesting that, that this eternal word made flesh took the time to set, and I know there's Passover and there's, there's reasons, but he took the time to say, to break bread and to offer a cup, and then what he said about it was this. He said, every time you do this, remember me. Every time you eat from this table, every time you drink from this cup, remember me. And I think the reason is because we have a tendency to forget what it's all about, to be distracted by everything else, and, and not remember Jesus and that's not like in a guilt way. That's just a, a fact of being a person. And he knows it and he loves us. And so he gave us this very tangible way uh, to remember. By the way, I will say that he also, in this passage, remember me, it was an invitation to the church. Paul's instruction is written to the church in Corinth. Every time you do this, remember Jesus. That's what he told us to do. Remember him. I don't know. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know how your year has been, you know. I don't know, like, what is it about annualized traditions that gives us kind of a, a waypost or a marker that we can see what's been happening in our lives? But one thing we can choose to do this time of the year is we can choose to remember Jesus again. 
And, and by the way, can I just say, no matter who you are in here, if, if you're an adult, if you're a child, um, you have the ability to change Christmas in your home or with your family by what you choose to focus on. And I'm not talking about in some preachy way, like, I'm just talking about in real, like, yeah, isn't it awesome that we remember Jesus this time of year? Isn't it incredible the Word was made flesh? Have you read the first 14 verses of the Gospel of John? <laughs> you could just say that. <laughs> I want to um, share something with you that's um, about a year old, so check this out. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide arrows being sung by a boy. And folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way crazy thing about that is if we're not careful, we'll miss it, right? And if we're not careful, we'll miss what God is really doing in our lives. That was remarkable to me whenever I, uh, I watched that. I was blown away. Do you see Jesus at Christmas, you know? Do we recognize him? See, Jesus, when I, when I shared with you a minute ago, he said, every time you do this, remember me. He was talking about the Passover meal and about something that we've come to call communion. But it's not lost on me today that it is a physical thing that he wants us to, to taste and see. Don't, don't miss it. Don't miss it. That every time you do this, you remember me. In 1 Corinthians um, 11, and I'm going to do this to set the table here. Um, Paul says this. Yeah, I'm going to read a little more than what's on the screen, but this is what it says. Who, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner that's striking to me. This is in verse 27 of chapter 11, if you're turning there. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. 
And, and I was hung up on this idea of what's an unworthy manner. What, what is a way that we can approach communion and not appreciate it, not to sin what the Word says against the body and blood of the Lord. And the idea is to not give it its proper weight, um, to not come to communion with some aspect of reverence and awe for what he is doing among us, for who he is. It literally means to lift our minds toward the heaviness that is Jesus, the weight of the word made flesh. So that would be a man who's guilty. Therefore, a man should examine himself before he eats or drinks. This is not about our holiness or our being good enough. It's about us seeing who Jesus is and all he has done. And it's in that context that we remember that every time we do this, we remember Jesus. I want to share with you too, um, well, I'm going to go ahead to, uh, in 1 Corinthians to 15, because you might not have had communion before, and you might be like, well, okay, why is it so heavy? Check it out. In 15, the word says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that was preached to you, and which you've received, and which you've now taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that's been preached to you. Otherwise, you believe for no purpose. Because what I've received that passed on is of first importance, that this Jesus, the Messiah, died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to Scripture, and that he appeared to Peter and then to many others. When we talk about not recognizing the weight, we're talking about missing the good news of Jesus as we receive communion. We recognize the great power and mystery that is the manifestation of Jesus in the flesh only to sacrifice himself for our sins. This is why the incarnation is so powerful because he came and dwelt among us so that we might have our sins removed from us. And for those who are willing to receive him, who believe in his name, it's given the authority to become children of God. And that offer stands for you and for me. It's an eternal standing word from the Lord. If you'll receive him, you'll, ha- you'll be saved. So then this communion experience becomes an opportunity for us to reconfess our faith in the gospel. That is Jesus' righteousness who saves us, who sets us free from sin. And then I want to, I don't know if I have it up here or not, let's see. No. I want to share one more thing with you though. And this comes back from 11 and then we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to the table. We're going to pray before we do it. But I'm going to invite you to the table. Paul has a word of warning for the church, man, and I I thought this was so powerful. Before giving the instruction where Jesus said, remember me, in chapter 11, uh, this starts around verse uh, 19, Paul says um, that there's dangers in receiving communion in an unworthy manner and not recognizing its seriousness, right? Um, Because you you could, um, heresy can crop up amongst the church. And heresy sounds like, oh, I've heard of heresy before. But heresy is unnecessary division over opinions. Paul says that's one of the risks of not recognizing Jesus in communion, not giving it its proper weight, is that heresies can arise among us, brothers and sisters, for no good reason at all. And then the second danger he says, and it comes, I think, in verse 20 as well. If you want to look at it later, you can. But he says, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, and we forget to see, to recognize this incarnation of Jesus and remember the salvation that he brought to all his people, the good news that we can proclaim, we will have a tendency to turn towards selfish lives 
where we push ourselves to the front and others to the back. We step on people to get more for ourselves, and we miss the point of this table. And the point is that he's opened it for everyone, that he made a way for all to come and receive this great inheritance as children of God. So those are two serious concerns that we could be divided over silly stuff or that we can become so self-involved that we miss what he's doing around us. And so today I'm going to ask, as you feel led to come forward, um, we've prepared a table. Uh, This is not Family Bible Church's table. This is Jesus' offering. Uh, As John would say, behold, the lamb that comes, take away the sins of the world. And I want you to pray with me um, that we would give this proper weight as we come and meet him today in a real way that we would see and recognize Jesus in communion. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we just um, come to you uh, with awe and appreciation for the scope, scale, majesty of the incarnation of Jesus. Father, it's so wild because in some ways the truth is too great for us and in other ways it's so simple all of us can understand it. It's right there for us. Your word said it to us today that if, if we would, to all who would receive, you've given the ability, the authority to become children of God. Would you help us today to recognize that, uh, to see in this opportunity uh, a chance to engage in a real way with you? Would you help us to remember you not just at this table, but as we're around other tables, that we would have opportunities to engage in a real way with those around us? Would you teach us to become risk takers like you who would um, dwell in a tent in an insecure spot amongst the people who are ultimately um, not necessarily predisposed to love you well? Father, could you help us to see you in communion? We give you thanks and praise because you are present. We thank you so much for your revelation and for your truth, for your son, the God made flesh. Be glorified as we worship you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you, as you feel led, to come up and respond to communion. Um, You can receive it up here. We're doing what's called intinction at Family Bible, which means we're going to come forward as the Lord leads you, and you can take a piece of bread, you can dip it into the juice, and you can receive it as you feel inclined. You can take it back to your seat if you want, or you can receive it immediately if you'd like to, whatever the Lord leads you to do. But um, come this morning and receive from him. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, we just uh, thank you again uh, for the miracle of your incarnation of your son, Um, We thank you for the sacrifice that he made willingly going to the cross to take away all of our sin. We thank you for the testament of saints who have gone before us professing the name of Jesus above all other names and encouraging and exhorting us to believe the good news. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that works in us, fighting the battle of sin in our lives, calling us to holiness and not sinfulness, not of our own power or our own works, but of rooted completely in faith that you've given us as a gift. We just give you praise and glory for that. We pray a prayer of thanks. We pray a prayer of thanks for the kingdom that's coming that we are uh, partakers in, that we are inheritors of, and that we will get to experience with you. And we we pray that you would help us uh, to aim our lives, to focus our lives. Help us, Father, to uh, be attentive and invest in the things that ultimately matter to you. To help us let go of the things that don't and just focus on what matters to you for your glory, that we would be obedient and that, that others would know you. Um, we give you praise and glory for the work and the opportunity to do it together today. In Jesus' name, amen.